You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 58 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for June 2018, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a panel that is small in number, but very high in quality. And um, let me see, I, mean, I can't tell if East is left or right, but let's, let's just pretend that England is to my left. Joining me from my left-hand side, we have Nick Riley from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Hi. Thank you for inviting me back on. Always a pleasure to have you. And then on the other side of Ireland, across a slightly larger puddle of water, <laughs> I am joined by the wonderful Kelly Gamont again. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Bart. It's really nice to be here. It's nice to have you back again. And just to remind the listeners that you are involved with App Camp for Girls. Now, App Camp for Girls is a bit of a programmy, developer sort of kind of thing, right? Oh, yes. It not not kind of at all. It's yeah. uh, full-on developer and programmy. It's pretty great. So having you here for our annual WWDC episode is pretty much darn well perfect. And you were also physically there. So I was. I did, in fact, get a golden ticket this year. Ooh, congratulations. Okay, do you apply every year and hope for the best? Yeah, actually, how likely are you to get a ticket if you apply? Uh, I don't know. Um, this is the fourth or fifth year that I've attempted and, fa- and uh, previous to now, I have failed every time. Oh, wow. So this. So I don't know. I so don't it's at know least one in five by the sound of yeah. things. Then, jeez, wow. I guess if you're someone like John Gruber, you always get to go because you're press and because you get to interview the Apple people. Yeah, and and I think there's a different level of access in that case because I don't know that he's necessarily going in order to go to the labs and talk to people about uh, the actual mechanics of the iTunes Store or uh, the educational things that apple has released or um you know getting to talk to developer relations about a particular thing or a particular piece of quick time that's giving you trouble in the latest version of mac os um he probably is there for a lot of different stuff so i think he probably like someone like him probably gets different access than yeah press regular folks do yeah i guess yeah anyway we will definitely be spending the vast majority of this episode talking about wwdc but just before we do i just want to go through a few other things so some follow-up from last time I was quite animated last time about Steam Link getting not getting in and then not into the App Store. Um, and shortly after we recorded the last episode, like within like 24 hours of me publishing the show, Apple tweaked their developer guidelines, which certainly added clarity. Um, they sort of basically went, yeah, this is why we told them to sod off. Uh, and it is, <laughs> it is basically about the 30% cut. Um, and Steam were allowing you to use a link app to reach into your PC and to do a purchase from the PC, which is sort of kind of a purchase from iOS and Apple weren't getting their 30% cut. Um, what we know from beta testers is that that feature has now been removed from the latest betas for the Steam Link app. So in theory, I think that smooths the path for the app to be accepted, but there's been no more developments. Uh, so I guess... They were working on it or something, so it's it's sort of in limbo at the moment. But we do know why they they didn't let it in, and it's 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 down to money, um, mm-hmm. and it makes me slightly uncomfortable because, 
the reason I love being an Apple customer is because 99% of the time, Apple's incentives are aligned with mine. What's good for me is good for Apple because I'm the customer and it all just sort of works out that way. And there's no <laughs> conflict of interest, usually. But in this specific case, this is one of the rare edge cases where Apple, Apple's interest and Apple's customer's interest do not align. It is in my interest that these kind of apps get in the App Store. But it's not in Apple's interest. And it's really uncomfortable to find myself not aligned with Apple. Whereas if you're a Facebook user, you're permanently unaligned. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, Apple are still much more in line with their users. You know, the incentives line up better. But it's it, it, it frustrates me when they go out of alignment. And then you end up with these kind of what I consider to be dumb decisions where to protect their bottom line, Apple do something that's hostile to their users. Uh, the other thing, something else we talked about a lot last time was the uh, controversial butterfly keyboards. Um, Apple have launched a replacement service. So those people who are unfortunate enough to have a problem can get the problem fixed, problem solved. I still love mine to bits. Uh, so hopefully not literally to bits. But if I do, I guess, love it so much that it <laughs> falls apart. I still get a new one, so it's okay. Uh, and then we also talked about AirPlay 2 finally coming out. And shortly after we recorded the last show, Sonos announced that they were bringing firmware updates to their existing speakers to make them AirPlay 2 in July. So that'll be happening soon. And they also announced a new uh, soundbar named Beam, which is going to be AirPlay 2 as well. So more AirPlay 2 stuff. And then the last bit of follow-up is that way back in March's education event, Apple said that they would be releasing a schoolwork app to help teachers manage their classrooms. Well, they have now released said schoolwork app to help teachers manage their classroom. So that has us all caught up. Um, I'm, so- not aware that, I'm not aware that Sonos has actually done anything yet. I know we're very early in July. <laughs> I was just going to say, today's the second, so they still have yes. <laughs> 20-something days left. I don't remember how many indeed, days. Indeed they do. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm I'm excited because this is I think the first non Apple thing that is that has declared AirPlay two support, and this is like mm. the first move we've seen on that front. I think I don't remember hearing about any others anyway. So um, I'm excited to see how people who've been using AirPlay previous to now and now can use AirPlay two on Sonos hardware. How that experience changes for them. Yeah. It may not be at all, or it may be like a lot more stuff connects more easily, or it's just a lot smoother overall. I don't know, but I'm very curious to see what the evolution is for something like this, where it's a software update and mm. not just new hardware that's supporting it. Yeah, for, for, the thing that's slightly annoying to me is, so I have I have an Apple TV which is AirPlay two, and so mm. now instead of now it has like a radio button that in theory I can send the sound to multiple speakers at once, but I have a grand total of one that I can send to multiple at once. <laughs> so it's a toggle that does nothing, and I would love to have a second speaker just so I can experiment with what it's like. But I guess I guess that'll have to wait. Um, now. We are going to move on to legal latest, and I need someone with a good thermometer to pay a wee visit to hell because I have a feeling there might be some <laughs> snow falling or something along those lines. <laughs> Pretty much. Can it be? Can it be? For the entire history of this podcast, and for most of the history of the podcast I used to do before that, with you, Kelly, in fact, we have been yes. talking about the same bloody story. Apple versus Samsung. Well, folks, it would appear to actually, genuinely, 
be over. Um, early in the month, there was news that Samsung were going to demand another retrial. And then obviously they got their heads together and they uh, showed up in court on the 27th of June. They gave Judge Coe, the long-suffering Judge Lucy Coe, a filing saying, we have reached a settlement. Do you accept it? And she went, great, thank goodness, get the sudding hell out of my courtroom. Case is closed. <laughs> and unfortunately, after all of that, we have the gigantic anticlimax that the terms are secret. So we don't even know how they finally managed to solve their differences. All we but know you know what? I almost a- feel like it's a fair trade. Like, Is it? It's okay with me not to know because I know the important part, which is I don't have to talk about this anymore. <laughs> okay, I'll grant you that. Um, but big- Yes, I'm really curious, and I would very much like to know how they sorted everything out, but... I feel like the takeaway here is podcasters can talk about other stuff now, and that's really exciting. Yeah, I was just going to say, and the next thing in the show notes is Apple v. Qualcomm, which appears to be gearing up to become the next one of these zombie cases. We shall see how long that one lasts. <laughs> Apple- Unfortunately, Apple versus Qualcomm is actually more difficult to say than Apple versus Samsung as well. <laughs> it is, and most people don't care about it, because although just about everyone has a piece of Qualcomm technology in their pocket, whether they're using an Android phone or an iPhone, no one knows they have a piece of Qualcomm equipment in their pocket. Whereas Samsung mm-hmm. users know they're Samsung users, because it's you know, yeah, a shiny true. brand. Um, just before we give our final wrap-up on Apple v. Samsung, I mean, do we... I think being... Right, I mean, the question I've heard asked all over the Apple sphere... It's been gone on so long and it's ending now and Bart's speechless. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost. Well, I'm, sort of, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it, but basically the question is, did Apple win or lose? And on the one hand, I hear people making the argument that financially Apple are completely lost here because Samsung's modus operandi is, you know, breach people's intellectual property, make sure that you make enough profit to cover enough lawyers to keep the thing dragging on for a decade, and uh, then overall, fiscally... You, you, Samsung, will have won. And to me, that's exactly what they did. Samsung are the second biggest iPhone-like device makers in the world after Apple in terms of profit. So you could make a cold, hard business case that Samsung played a strategy that worked really well for them. Having said that, they lost pretty much every court case. So morally, Apple won. But is that worth anything? I think a lot of people don't really care. <laughs> Maybe that's true too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't, I don't uh, see any gain for for Samsung in any of this. And I, I whether they whether they win or lose those cases, um, I don't know. Like for me, as a spectator, people keep saying people keep taking Samsung to court, saying Samsung copied our stuff. So all that tells me is that Samsung really lacks an originality because they keep taking everybody else's stuff and can't even change it enough to not be in flagrant violation and end up having to go to court over it. Have, but they have turned that into an extremely successful business strategy. That's true, but that doesn't make me feel better about them. No. And it doesn't make me more inclined to buy a Samsung phone Quite. because why wouldn't I just go buy the per- the company's phone that came up with whatever that was in the first place? Well, because the Samsung one would be cheaper. It, as I say, it works for them for a lot of people. If they're ripping off other Android phones, yeah, it might be a different thing. 
So, I mean, it's interesting that on the one hand, I think pretty much everyone is like, yeah, they did kind of copy the iPhone, you know. And on the other hand, yeah. people still stand in line to, and rush to buy their phones. I mean, my my two brothers, I only have two of them, and they are both complete Android nuts. And not just Android nuts, they're complete Samsung nuts. And I almost think one of them does it despite me. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Do you know what I think's happened? Someone either at Apple or Samsung has actually closely examined the uh, the legal bill so far <laughs> and just said, "This is silly." Figured it out. <laughs> yeah, this is silly. This is too much money. Let's just stop. Well, I think Tim Cook's personality is conciliatory. Tim Cook isn't a grudge kind of man, as as best as we can tell from a distance. I mean, how much do we know about the personality of these people for real? But certainly in contrast to Steve Jobs, who went thermonuclear war on Google, Tim Cook has a very, very different temperament. And I do get the impression he prefers to compromise. He prefers to come to terms with people. He prefers to find some common ground and build on it. So this just seems in character with, with Tim Cook's Apple much more than it would have been a decade ago. True. Anyway. I don't know, because see, also, like, he's he's Southern, and yes, he's, he's you know, a Southern gentleman, but he's Southern, and one of the things that, as Americans, that we know about people who are, who are Southern in general is that they will also play a much longer game, and there's always the expression about, like, smiling while I slide the knife between your ribs, that... Well, he certainly so, thinks strategically, right? I mean, why was he yes, so good at operations? Absolutely, It wasn't because he thought short-term. Precisely. And that's a thing that, that I have wondered about. Yeah. Well, maybe he needs to... I mean, Apple has a lot of resources, but it doesn't have infinity many resources. So at some stage as a CEO, you do have to decide where you want to put your energies. And... Qualcomm may be much more of an existential threat to Apple because Samsung aren't an existential threat. I mean, Apple and Samsung are very competitive, but it's not like Apple is in danger of being swamped by Samsung at any moment. I mean, the the, the two are basically together dominating the market, and that seems, you know, it's not an existential threat. It's just the competition. Whereas if Apple have trouble getting their hands on the chips that make cell phones into cell phones... That seems a tad more existential to me. Yes. And therefore, having your lawyers free to go after Qualcomm is probably a better use of their time. Because, of course, Apple have all of these people on retainer, right? These are not lawyers who Apple hire. These are Apple employees who are fully qualified lawyers who work full-time for whatever court Apple wants them to be in. Um, which is kind of different to a small business who would who would have like this massive lawyer bill. Whereas for Apple, it's just just that's we have a department that's called legal. They do this, <laughs> but they still have a finite set of resources. So putting it into Qualcomm is probably better. And speaking of Qualcomm, the development this month in that story is that Apple have opened a new front. They have uh, challenged the validity of four of the Qualcomm patents at issue here with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So that's sort of literally pulling, trying to pull the rug out from under the whole case. Basically, if the patents aren't valid, this whole court case vanishes. So you don't pay royalties on a non-existent patent. So, anyway, that is where we stand with the legal news. I can see everyone is so excited about it. So um... <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked to hear it, I must admit. But Do you have no idea how many people tweeted me? So long. 
You've no idea how how many people tweeted me and messaged me in every possible which way just to tell me that it was over. Like, oh my God, have you seen the news? You know, or, or ha ha ha, you were just talking about it never ending. Look, look, it's finished. I mean, it, it was fun. Yeah, I was listening to Guy and Gaz this afternoon on, uh, on my way home from work. And uh, and he was saying he was so sad he couldn't be on tonight because he just wanted to hear your response. Yeah, no, he actually, <laughs> Guy actually sent me an email saying, I, I wanted to be there because what was it he said? Um, I, I waited so long. Well, at least as a sequel, Apple v Qualcomm to look forward to. <laughs> so thanks, <Yes. laughs> thanks, guy. Yeah, that that's that's definitely the right message. Um, but yeah. So anyway, before we move on to the wibbly wobbly developer conference, um, just a few quick. I, I sort of like to keep track of Apple's hirings and firings because it's just it's just good to keep in your peripheral mind who Apple is pulling in in terms of their HR. So just a little taster of the ones that made the news in June. We have an exec from Netflix being pulled over to Apple. We have an exec from Spotify apparently coming to Apple Music. And apparently a famous YouTube scientist VR expert has been secretly working for self-driving cars at Apple in that secret project, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So it would appear that our narrative of what Apple are working on is is pretty accurate. If they're you know that, that this whole entertainment thing is definitely not going away, and Apple Music they're still putting some some more weight behind, and this whole car thing is is clearly happening too. So it's, you know I guess that's probably all we should say about that. Unless someone someone wants to chime in on either of those three hires. No, nope. just that I agree with you in looking at them. You don't have to know a ton about the people themselves who were hired, but uh, a development executive from Netflix Mm. and uh, someone who left Spotify to join Apple Music and somebody who, uh, you know, and and like this, this YouTube person is developing VR, like just knowing that stuff is enough. I mean, it's it's going to cover so much speculation, you know, later on you know, that, that people are going to do, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff that gets read into all these things. But it's really nice, I think, to, like you said, to keep an eye on that, to see sort of what direction they're heading. I wouldn't be surprised if the next time you do an episode that there's perhaps a uh, a magazine or <laughs> a cable news exec uh, who has managed to make the leap and now uh, has has an office in Cupertino. I think yeah, I I think you're right. That will be the next obvious set of hires to see. All right, is what are they going to do with um, newsstand? Not newsstand. That's that's a terrible thing. Apple got rid of what? What's that one they bought? Oh, texture. Texture. Thank you. Because obviously the the other shoe is to drop on that. I mean, yeah, they bought them, but now what? Right. And Apple News is still only available in a tiny handful of countries. Now, it so happens that I'm the only one here who doesn't have Apple to ac- access to Apple News. But that, again, needs to roll out into lots more countries. So, again, they should be hiring lots of people in. And it would be nice to have someone do a good job in the news arena. So, we shall see. Anyway, without further ado, we actually, there are very few main stories. I sort of managed to find three. But really, we're going to be talking for the vast majority of the time about the Worldwide Developer Conference, which Apple held at the start of June. And, um, well, I guess we'll try to work our way through it. Uh, we may end up going all over the place, which is fine. Um, <laughs> but sort of the first thing I picked up on my show notes is it used to be really, really easy 
to divide the keynote into this is the Mac bit and this is the iPhone bit and the, you know that was kind of all the bits there were or the iPod bit I guess but actually a lot of the stuff they talked about isn't belonging to any one OS anymore Apple's thinking is a lot bigger than that so actually the first chunk I've put into the show notes is their cross-platform stuff so FaceTime getting group video chat well, that's not a Mac story or an iOS story. That's a that's an everything story. In fact, even the Apple Watch gets to take part in these chats, albeit voice only because there's no camera on an Apple Watch. And I'm not sure I want to look at 32 people on a screen the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's nice that they're, you know, the, the, they showed up late to the party, but they brought a very, very, very nice six pack. Yes, can confirm. Have you played with... Actually, Kelly, there's a question. Since you're a developer, uh, I'm assuming you're playing with the betas. Uh, I'm currently playing with iOS 12 uh, because I have a device that I can put it on. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had the patience or the fortitude to install it on my daily driver, even in a partition for Mac OS. Uh, I don't have a backup laptop. I do have uh, I do have a previous edition iPad that I can put iOS 12 on and check it out. So uh, so far, I have enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I have a first generation iPad Air, hmm. and I left it on 10 and never even bothered to update to 11 because I figured it was going to take a while before it became usable. Because I think the iPad Air is like the lowest for 11, and so I was kind of hesitant to put it on there. And 12 has been pretty perky overall. Um, I actually get more responsiveness out of it than I did out of 10. And uh, there are certain things that fall over, which is to be expected because it is a beta and it's a developer beta. So I don't, uh, I I don't expect those things to be fixed immediately. And uh, so like overall, it's been a lot smoother than I thought it would be. Now, granted, I don't live in that iPad, uh, but I have been trying to make a concentrated effort to try various things like different keyboards and messages and, you know, trying to use email a lot and doing some web browsing and stuff just to see uh, how those things would work. And then like stepping through some of the preferences and stuff. And so far it's been pretty smooth. Um, I feel like I'm jinxing it by talking about it this much, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be okay. Have you played with the uh, FaceTime group chats at all then? I have not. Uh, I want to, and it's a thing that I am going to end up digging into at some point because uh, I know that uh, Jeff Jeff Gamut and the other Mac Observer folks are uh, carrying around iOS 12 betas on their uh, devices, and they will end up trying it out. Yeah. And um, and because they're going to try it out, they're going to want a bunch of people who are also running iOS 12. So I will inevitably end up on one of those group FaceTime calls at some point. Um, I just don't know when that's going to be. But yeah, probably I will use it. And I'm very curious about it, mostly because uh, I ne- never needed 32 people in a face ever really. Most of the time wanted three, maybe four. Yeah, the thing is, you know, two is too few. And I think the reason they went with 32 is because that's the most people you can have on an existing iMessages group. Right. I'm assuming that's that was where that number came from. So, And it's five But bits. yeah, like, could we start with four? Four bits. Four <laughs> bits. Yeah, never mind. Excuse me. It's obviously too late in the evening for me to do maths. Um, yes, it's four bits. 32. Um, 
Yeah, so it's, you know, it certainly looks good, but again, the proof will be in the pudding. And maybe, well, it's certainly enough for a podcast, so maybe maybe we finally have our, our solution for recording podcasts. Maybe. Could be. Oh. Especially Apple podcasts, like, you know. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, because it's not going to work for, you know, a show about other stuff where you can't rely on everyone right. having access to some sort of Apple device. But for this show, I think it's reasonable to assume that every panelist is going to have a Mac or an iPhone or an mm-hmm. iPad. So, you know, it might be, might be a solution for us. Um, another thread that I noticed that came up again and again and again was a real continuing focus on security and privacy in all of their updates. Whether they were talking about the Mac, whether they were talking about iOS, they were, they were constantly hammering on about security and privacy. And particularly mm-hmm. Safari got some really nice TLC. It's, it's, you know, some of it is really nerdy stuff. Uh, like preventing browser fingerprinting, which is a particularly sort of insidious form of spying on people. It's great that they're tackling that. And also, now, I want to talk about that one specifically for okay. a second because um, this is part of like the the Facebook Pixel and those sorts of things that people are using to track, right? No, so that's separate. That's using their AI to get rid of oh, okay. the trackers. So that's the other thing they did. So the the browser fingerprinting is kind of so when you contact a web page, your browser sends over a whole bunch of headers. And in theory, those headers are all innocuous, right? What language, what your language preferences are, what plugins you have installed, what fonts you have installed, what your screen size is in pixels. There was a while that you used to mm-hmm. send your battery status over and stuff like that. And in each of those individually means nothing. But the thing is, how many people on planet Earth have exactly the same OS, exactly the same you know, browser, exactly right. the same fonts, exactly the same language preferences? When you put these Tied all together... Tied to an IP address that's geolocated in a specific region. Exactly. So you multiply these together and the probability collapses pretty darn quickly to, oh, it's only me. And that, mm. that is called a browser fingerprint. And that is used... Uh, it's not used long term. It's used short term. So the, is you have cookies constantly being collected up. And... You have, might have some cookies from one website and some cookies from another website, and they're completely separate. And what the advertisers want to do is connect you together. So there are lots of you surfing the web. They want to connect you together. And these browser fingerprints allow them to do that, because if at the same time the same fingerprint shows up on two domains, then it's obviously the same person. So we now connect these two unconnectable cookies. And you suddenly start to tie everything together, and you end up building this massive footprint. And, of course, if you delete your cookies doesn't help because they can be reconnected by the fingerprint you, you know the, the back end buyers go oh, i've seen that fingerprint before reconnect you with all of this history we gathered on you before and so there's nothing you can do to protect yourself and it's just it's just so snide and sneaky under the hood and it's a difficult problem to solve and that's why it made me so happy that apple went for it it's like, you know, it's not a sexy feature. It's not it's not the kind of thing that everyone was waiting for someone to do, but it's really effective at actually protecting actual privacy. And do you know, I've I've just had a <laughs> I've just had a, a, an imagine imagination of uh, you know, Mac versus PC. Mm. This would be perfect for that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, PC comes up and says, uh, what sort of browser are you? I'm a browser. Yeah, I mean, oh, that is what the fonts do you use? I'm a browser. <laughs> yeah, so Safari will now answer the question, what fonts do you have with the standard Mac OS system fonts? Which means that yes. every Mac will answer the same way. So it's basically, they've removed the entropy from those headers to make it so that all of our Macs look 
pretty darn the same as each other. So that instead of it collapsing into this is definitely you, it collapses into this is one of 10 million people, which is right. no good. Yeah, so it, it's it's really well done. And then the other thing they're doing, which is that they're continuing to use AI because cookies are both needed to make the internet work at all and yeah. are a tool used for horrible evil tracking. And so the answer is not <laughs> turn off all cookies. And the answer is not turn on all cookies. And figuring out which are evil and which are not is actually an artificial intelligence problem because it's almost impossible to solve really any other way. And that's where the really smart AI stuff is kicking in. And that's where they're doing a whole bunch of extra stuff to help protect you from the Facebook pixel and all those kind of things. And honestly, this is the part that to me was the most interesting. Like, I appreciate security updates. I appreciate that they are um, publicizing them in mm-hmm. this in this way and making a big deal about them in this way. Um, I remember that was, I mean, that goes. this goes all the way back to Apple Pay. And one of the things that struck me when they talked about Apple Pay was uh, the pre- in during the presentation as they were talking about Apple Pay and how you can put your credit card in your phone and then use your phone to pay for stuff, which yeah. at the time was revolutionary, right? Keep that mm-hmm. in mind. Um, at the time, like I remember there being sort of a, a security section of that where they sort of threw up their hands and went, we don't know anything about this transaction. All yeah. we know is, you know, we get a fraction of a percentage of the transaction as the fee for helping you do this but we don't know who you are we don't know what you bought we don't care it is not important to us i think how many times you shopped at walgreens no i think they 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 didn't care they actively said they wanted to not know right it's it's not our business where you are paying for things how you are paying for things we don't care we don't want to know and you know that's one of the things that that strikes me because remember it was very exciting like mm-hmm. when i was young um which was longer ago than i'm willing to admit on the internet <laughs> um when i was young i remember the future being like everyone will know everything about you so that you only get the ads that are meant for you and you will see the shows that only the shows that you like and like the world you will move through the world so much more efficiently because everything will be tailored to you see i remember because everybody will know everything they need to know about you and nobody thought about the other side of that which is everything everybody will know everything they need to know about okay you. I'm, I'm gonna jump in there because i very very much i never saw that as a fe- as a feature i always saw that as a bug and the reason is quite simple i was a closeted gay man at the time and the thought right. of everyone knowing everything had a very different impact on me than it did on on people who were going this would be brilliant clouds butterflies rainbows i was like yeah wrong yeah, kind of right. rainbows <laughs> well, the, I, rea- the reality—I was of confused it, why anybody would care. Yeah, the reality of of a lot of it was you bought a lawnmower and then you had lawnmower adverts forever. Yeah, and I have a lawnmower now. The the yeah, last exactly. thing on planet Earth I want which is, is the another thing one. that fascinates me about those ads, like. If you know that's what I was looking for, why don't you know I bought it? And therefore, I don't need advertised to anymore. I have a lawnmower, thanks. Which well, is really funny because they... I had a lawnmower conversation earlier today. Well, thank goodness they don't know when we buy it. It shows that we still have a tiny <laughs> bit of privacy left. Maybe that's, maybe that's <laughs> yeah. helpful. Yeah. But for me, one of the biggest things about this when, when they talked about it was not only like we're making it a big deal. We are featuring it. Security is a thing people need to be aware of keeping your information as private or as public as you want it to be 
is the part that's important. Yes. Not how much you share with Apple. Uh, you know, none of that. Like, it's just, this is, again, this is the thing I've said for a really long time. Um, awareness is the part that's important. Yeah. And just... And th- that's what matters is that you know how much of your information you're giving away. And that's why these stories get so much traction is because somebody is doing something, some organization is doing something with your information that you either did not know about or did not intend. And that's the part that isn't cool. So I just want to make popcorn and watch this go down as, as iOS 12 becomes public and not just public beta, but as it is officially released and people like my parents start installing it people like other members of my family for whom the phone is a tool and not like a portion of their lifestyle where it's just communication and they get the little badge and they go oh okay i have an update i'm gonna run this update and now i'm done and move on with their life and as that stuff starts to get more prevalent and as you know the notification starts coming up in the corner this fall for you really need to update to mojave all of that um i'm very interested in what this is going to do to web advertising and how it's going to be reacted to because i'm sure right now they're just furious well we've already seen not... how furious they are right at what apple have done up to now and they're they're only continuing with ios 12 right. and, and mac os mojave so you know as cranky as they already are which is pretty darn cranky <laughs> like you say get the oh, popcorn because yes. this isn't getting better for them and just just to say actually right so Something that I think a lot of people don't quite understand is the difference between secrecy and privacy. Privacy doesn't mean not telling people things or keeping things secret. Privacy means that you are in control of how much or how little of your information is shared. So you ha- if you have privacy, you can choose to share everything or you can choose to share nothing. But it's still, it's all about your, you know, your privacy is basically you are in control. And secrecy is just no one knows anything. And they're not the same thing. And I happen to be, you know, I keep a lot of my private life private. But, you know, people may choose not to. But at the end of the day, we all need privacy tools because otherwise we're not in control. I also think, Bart, it's a lot about um, protecting people in spite of themselves. So a lot of this that stuff too? will protect people even though they don't know about it. Mm-hmm. That's a really um, good point, actually, yes. And, because... and, that, and that's a great thing. I mean, that that is... It's it's great that Apple are going forward and actually saying it's important that we set the peop- we protect the people who don't care as well as the people who do. Yeah, and so as as well as as these kind of browser protections, which were a very big deal, and they focus a lot on the keynote. They have also majorly revamped the keychain in iOS, uh, so that it, it it sort of encourages better password hygiene. And that, again, is a good thing because it's it's becoming more on people's radar that they need to worry about passwords. But, you know, being on people's radar and then giving them the tools right there and then to make it easier to do the right thing than the wrong thing, that is, again, very powerful. And then the bit that blew my socks off is not only are they implementing really good password management straight in iOS, they've also opened up an API so that the existing password managers like 1Password and LastPass and Dashlane and whatever you're having yourself, they can now deeply integrate with the OS not just in the browser, but also passwords needed by apps and stuff. And the fact that Apple thought to do that to third parties is fantastic. That was yeah. the thing about all of the, the security piece that blew me away, because the rest of it seemed really consistent with what Apple was already doing. Yeah. And we don't know, and we don't want to, and hands off your stuff, and we're trying to make everyone safer, uh, like you said, Nick, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And then- and, but then to go, and here's 
how the new password thing is going to be super fantastic. And you don't have to migrate everything to iCloud Keychain if you already use a third-party password manager. It will be possible for you to continue to do so. And it's just going to be easier. So, you know, password managers aren't a second-class citizen, sort of like they are now. Like, if you're on iOS 11 and you use a password manager, you'll notice that not everything has an option for you to use a password manager, but everything does have an option for you to use iCloud Keychain for your passwords. Yeah, because there isn't always a share sheet and you need a share sheet to get to one password. Yes. Um, And I literally have like three things in iCloud Keychain because I have apps that will not allow me to have a password otherwise. Yeah, it's too complicated. And so I'm really excited that this is going to change and then it's going to be available to everything. And I'm really looking forward to that being better. Uh, Another interesting dynamic to watch when you're sort of stepping back, looking at all of the OSs in one. So iOS has always been an extremely secure OS because Apple released iOS with the ability to do almost nothing. And then they have over the last... Copy-paste! Exactly, right? Exactly. (laughs) Third-party apps at all, let alone copying and pasting. Uh, But they have been incrementally adding functionality. But each and every one of those increments, it has been done securely. So we didn't get third-party keyboards until we could do it securely. We didn't get drag-and-drop until we could do it securely. It's At all points in time, it, the security has come with the feature. And so the OS has continued to remain very secure, despite becoming ever more powerful. But the Mac, on the other hand, is an old Unix. So the concept that you might need some sort of sandboxing or that you might want you know, a, a system-wide enforcement of asking for permission to use a microphone and stuff, that was alien to the Unix way... And so the Mac was completely open and any app you installed could do anything. And they have been incrementally and very slowly retrofitting onto a fully open OS the security they have learned and developed on their fully closed OS. And it's it's been a really good dynamic at, at making Mac OS a very, very robust and solid OS without losing its power. It is still a really powerful desktop, and yet it is so much more secure than it was a decade ago. And that continues with now, you know, no app can ask for your microphone without the OS stepping in and going, "Uh, there's an app looking for your microphone, are you okay with that? Same with your camera. Apps are going to have to ask permission to access your contacts. Which No, they already had that. Uh, They're going to have to ask permission to access your email database, to access your file system. So it's... It's really good to see them continue to to port the iOS, the lessons they've learned from iOS, back to the Mac, as Apple would have said a few years ago. Mm. Yeah. And then the other the other thing, just to note, I mean, none of this is surprising, but the cat and mouse game between people trying to to crack the iPhone and Apple trying to defend the iPhone continues with something called USB restricted mode, which makes it harder to shove a USB cable up the iPhone's bottom and get at the spill its secrets. Um, and also Apple have tightened again the rules in their developer guidelines regarding the use of your contacts database. Like, you know, the app has to ask you to use your contacts, so that's a safeguard. But if you say yes, then what's safeguarding you is the rules. And if an app breaks the rules, they get booted out of the app store. And the rules now explicitly say you cannot use this access, even if the user gives it to you, to build up a database from, those, uh, from that uh, address book. So that, again, is brilliant. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, it's really good. Uh, and the other thing then, so, you know, that's leaving the security aside. We're all, I don't think any of us are cranky that Apple are spending so much time on security. 
<laughs> can't imagine why we would no, be. No, I do want to underline what you said about macOS, though, and that's that the balance has been really nice. Mm. Um, there's been other stuff that, that, that Apple has done with macOS that I've disagreed with, uh, but but we're adding this thing to make things more secure and obviously being upfront about it. And, and in a lot of cases, uh, here's the thing that we're doing and why uh, has been refreshing. It's a lot nicer than, uh, for example, Windows updates that are just like, it's for security. Trust us. You should install it. Yeah. And I know sometimes Apple ones are like that, but I also know that sometimes Apple security updates end up with specifics later. Like if you install it the day it was released, it may not say right away, mm. but you can usually find out later like what exactly that security update was for. And if so, if you just want to wait until it tells you, you know, until it explicitly states, then go for it. But uh, it's been it's been a really nice balance and not super heavy handed or anything like that, which has been very good as a as a process to to help lock it down. Yeah, definitely. Um, then other stuff that has been going on, Apple, I mean, I wish they were to develop this a little bit quicker, but the other thing that I love about Apple is that because they do everything, you can have this concept of continuity, which is literally what they call the feature. And the big development in continuity this time is that you can, you will be able to use your Mac to take a photo on your iPhone. So you're writing a presentation on your Mac and you need to snap a picture of something. You can now just, from the Mac, turn on the camera in your iPhone and get the picture straight to your Mac. So no more faffing around with AirDrop and all of that kind of shenanigans. No more interrupting your workflow. And even just from the point of view of not having to interrupt your workflow, this is just brilliant. Um, So I, I just, I really like the way Apple are continuing to think about making their operating systems work together to give us all this you know, much more, much better hands-on sort of all-around experience. So, you know, that made me very happy. Let me see, what else did I have listed here under the cross-platform stuff? Um, I don't really want to dwell on some of this stuff, but just to sort of flag that um, Apple are continuing uh, their focus on health as well. Uh, the Health Records API was opened up to developers, which is a big deal within the United States. Um, it's a, It's basically... It allows medical institutions to share their records over well-known APIs that have been properly secured. And so you'll basically be able to have your iPhone act as a central hub for all of your medical records from the various hospitals you work with. And you'll then be able to to use apps to interact with that data, which would be lovely. It's a pity that isn't an international standard. Uh, But hey, you guys can have that fun. And also ResearchKit got a little bit of a tweak. So this is the API that Apple uses to do health research that people opt into with their iDevices. So ResearchKit went to 2.0 with a bunch of new features to help it gather more and better medical data. So, you know, it's good to see the focus continue on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing I have in this section... I'm action, excited about all of those. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really positive to see Apple do that, in my opinion. And then the other thing that sort of made a lot of news is that Apple said you can have free trials, but the thing is, not really. You can have a for <laughs> free in-app purchase... So you still can't go to the store and see a clear label that says this one has a free trial. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a sanctioned hack, but a hack nonetheless. And Mm. I really hope this is step one of two and step two is we do it properly. You know what I want out of this is there are apps which are free because you get access to them via subscription. Mm. And if you do not have a subscription, this app is useless to you. Yes. And I would like to know that up front. Yes. I want, just like in-app subscription, 
or just like in-app purchases, I would like to have, you know, for subscription because like I've looked for and, you know, I've, I've seen like review roundups and different comparisons of different categories of apps. And the first ones that come to mind are like uh, yoga apps and meditation apps. Right. Yeah. And so you look at those and you go, and you go, yeah, that that looks cool. It gets great reviews, whatever. And you see that there are in-app purchases for access, right? One month, three months, six months, lifetime, whatever. And maybe you just want to see how it is first. But it turns out that if you do not have a subscription, this app is just wasting space on your phone or your iPad and not doing you any good. Yeah. Because yeah, you so get nothing as opposed to like limited functionality with a free app that you download. But in real life, if you're really going to put any miles on it, you ought to have a subscription. And that feels like a very different thing to me. Now, Omni is very good about this with OmniFocus. I think it is that you yeah, can use the viewer only, for right? free. Yeah, like you can use the, you can view for free. And it says like in the description, like for free, it's a viewer. But if you want to use stuff, it's this. And if you want to be a power user, it's this level. And I have no issue with that. If yeah. if you want to have an app that you can only use with a subscription, that's fine. But it needs to be more clear that that's the case because I've tried and failed to use a number of different apps on my phone or on my iPad Yeah. because I had to learn the hard way that without a subscription, this thing is pointless. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very annoying. The App Store... The App Store got some TLC on the Mac. Maybe we should talk about that now. It's probably as good a time as any. But basically, the TLC that came <laughs> to iOS has now come to the Mac, right? But it's not daily news stories or daily sort of articles. It's weekly articles because there's less happening mm-hmm. there. And the other thing, so related to what we talked about, about retrofitting security to the Mac, something else that got some serious TLC. Now, this is low-down, nerdy stuff that the detail of it doesn't matter to your average Mac user. It matters to nerds like me. But sandboxing is one of those really important security features that's been retrofitted to the Mac. And in theory, sandboxing doesn't rule out any power apps. Assuming that the sandbox has the ability to grant the needed permissions to enable the power apps. And that's the fact that the sandbox wasn't feature-rich enough was what drove out a whole bunch of the power apps. And Apple have put real work into fixing it so that there are possible entitlements for all of the things that your transmits and your BB edits and your Microsoft Office 365s and stuff need available. So they can be sandboxed, so they can run securely on the Mac, and they are. So basically, Apple went, we did a whole bunch of work on this, and to prove that it's really good, the two most high-profile you know, abandoners of the App Store are back. So that's Transmit from Panic and uh, BB Edit from Bare Bones. And also, just as an added bonus, oh yeah, an Office 365 is coming to the App Store too, which I think is fabulous. I think it's interesting because that's probably like the biggest holdout. It's like the Beatles coming to iTunes. It really is, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> you that's, know. What, that's how it struck me at the time. Well, I guess, no, it's not quite the biggest. That'll be Photoshop. Yeah, I guess if you could Creative Cloud through the App Store, that would be different. But I feel like for for the most people, uh, Office is the thing. And and, and here we are. But I I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting because I don't think we've heard exactly what it was that changed that made it so that... 
uh, transmit and BB-Edit could come uh, back? We've heard some of it. So it is possible now for Transmit to request and be given access to your file system. So you didn't notice this as an end user, but in, in, a, in the sandbox up until now, apps that were sandboxed could only get access to a file if you, the user, explicitly gave them access at that moment. So if you went file open... The open dialog is part right. of the OS. You were then granting the app access to that one file that you opened. But for an FTP client like Transmit, that's not what they need. They need the right to read your entire drive so they can present it to you in app so that you can then use the app in a normal way. And so there was no entitlement for give me full access to your disk. So the app couldn't ask you and you couldn't give the app permission. Well, now there is an entitlement for that. So you, so Transmit can ask and can be granted the access it needs to run. And so while there are, we don't know every single new API in there, or at least, well, technically I guess it's all documented, and if we don't know the betas, we could learn. But ultimately, the, the, the main point is it is now possible for Power Apps to ask for and be granted more kinds of access. Which can only be a good thing. Exactly, because that's how mm-hmm. it should work, right? The point of a sandbox isn't that apps aren't allowed to do things. It's the concept of least privileges. So every app should have exactly the amount of rights it needs to do its functionality and no more. And so mm-hmm. an app to play poker needs sod all, and it should get a sod all. Transmit needs lots of file system access and a decent chunk of network access, but it needs no camera access, no access to your microphone. So it should get what it needs and it should get nothing else. And what you're doing there is you're limiting the attack surface for every app. So a bug in Transmit can only expose files. It can't expose your microphone. A bug in a poker game can expose basically nothing because it's really completely sandboxed off. And so you're minimizing the danger every time by only giving the apps exactly what they need and no more. And that it's just really good security practice. And it's just a very, right. very positive development here. And again, coming back to awareness, um, I know that Transmit has unfiltered file access because i said okay yes and it will ask you and you will say yes and and i have no issue with that like there i i feel like i feel like that's one of the things that came out of ios that i do wish would come to mac os and i think it's slowly getting there is uh this app wants access to your whatevers Mm -hmm. cool and it's up to you yeah i mean whether whether you are or not there's a whole tab now in your system preferences that wasn't there three or four versions of mac os ago and that's all precisely of, about that. One of the things that I miss that that I actually haven't I've seen and enjoyed in uh, in the Android store is it Google Play? Yes, that is the, the app store, yeah. but on Android. Yeah. Um, the thing that I have liked in Google Play when I've when I've used it is the fact that on the page for the app it says this app wants access to your. Like phone call, like call history, like, you know, it's a phone dialer, so it needs access to your call history. Okay. Um, you know, it's a solitaire game. It needs access to your camera. No. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I, that's one of the things that I've like, it's another piece of information I would like in the app store, um, yes, you know, tell me before I bother downloading it, that, that this thing is going to want access to all your Facebook information yes or no this thing is going to want you know this solitaire app wants access to your camera like i'm not going to bother you're not the only solitaire game in town and that gives me the opportunity to not have to hassle with with clicking install and then downloading it and then launching it and then waiting for it to go hi i need your camera so i can go no and then it can go you can't play cards and then i have to go back to the app store and try again take two yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, definitely. Um, let, let's actually continue on the discussion and look at Mojave itself. I don't want to dwell too long in here because to some extent this is... The Mac is such a mature platform that to a very large extent this is just slow, plodding, continued improvement. Dark mode looks looks pretty darn good, actually. Um, and as someone yeah. who loves pro apps, this, <laughs> this is very appealing to me. Um, the improvements to the desktop with stacks and the gallery view and the finder and the quick actions in quick view, actually, they all look particularly interesting. Um, the I thought, the, I thought desktop stacks was interesting. Uh, I, at first, I thought it, it seemed like a really good idea. But then I heard someone else on another podcast express it's basically the the methadone approach to the addiction of clutter on your desktop yeah if you're the kind of person (laughs) who clutters your desktop you don't want something to tidy it up automatically for you you know what i mean (laughs) it's uh, i'm terrified of that only because if it were my actual desk and someone else came and organized it for me i would be a complete disaster I'm not going to show you a picture of my desk right now, but at least I have a pretty good idea, like what quadrant to start digging in if I need a thing. Actually, so you've just mentioned desks, right? And it turns out that in the real world, I work in stacks. My desk is a mess, but it is actually all stacked because it's recipes. But you made your stacks, yes? Someone else didn't swoop in and go, all your stuff's in three piles, now you're welcome. But I think the way I understand it is that you get to define stacks. It sort of offers to say, would you like me to stack these? Because they seem to be related and you kind of go yes or no. So it's not quite that it comes in behind your back and rearranges everything and how, how it thinks you should. It sort of offers to help, which is better, right? I'm still nervous about it. I'll just not be using it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but what, what now, gets me is the quick actions. That's way more interesting to me than the Oh, I'm super, yes. Yeah. The the quick look stuff looks fascinating to me. Because and it's only because I remember um not being resistant to quick look as much as sort of forgetting it was a feature until oh, I, I hammered until it ended so up much. well at new at, at at first when it was brand new. Like it took me about six months to get to the point where like, oh, that's a thing that totally works. Because at first, it was also very limited. It didn't True. preview everything. And now, like, you can hit spacebar on anything and look at it. And it's still, to this day, it's one of those things that I do on my computer. And uh, if I'm in the presence of someone who doesn't spend as much time on their computer as I do, which is, you know, lots of people, honestly, um, they they see that and go, what are you doing? Like, how are you flipping through those those images so quickly? How did you get that document without opening the app? Whatever. And explaining that Quick Look does all this stuff now and having people sort of remember, like, the original iteration of Quick Look where you it only worked on images or, you know, it didn't preview MP3s. It didn't preview a PDF. It didn't show you what the contents of that particular file were necessarily, like, depending on what, what the file type was. So... Have it, so I think one of the things that that pointing pointing out some of the improved quick look features and quick actions are um, is going to be is just going to improve adoption for quick look as a way to navigate through stuff on your computer. Yeah, um, I'm excited I, I, about I it. Often think, I often think that um, while I I think all these things are very useful. I often think the more choices we have to do things in different ways is a good thing, except that you often find 
that different people will do things in different ways. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, at work, uh, I've always been someone who tries to think logically about where I put things, uh, filing system-wise. Hmm. Sounds uh, good. And um, when I try to find something, I know what area to look in. Now, my colleague straight away goes to the search and just uh, types what he's looking for in search. Yes, and the, the, actually, he gets to it quicker than I do. I was going to say, there's two, there's, <laughs> two, there's two sort of modes of operation, right? There's the old-fashioned, I will put things where I would like and I will go pick them up. And there's the whole, well, it's a computer. I'll just vaguely throw it at it and it can do the donkey work to go find it again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good that Apple are giving us the choice, I suppose. That's the uh, that's what I'm getting at. Well, to me, the reason the quick look is so interesting is because I don't like things that break my flow. When I'm in the middle of doing something, I want everything to just get out of my way and let me get what I need to get done without distracting me. And having to open up an app to change one word in a sentence, like having to have Word launch to change to make a tiny wee thing or having to open up Photoshop to rotate an image left or right or whatever, it's yeah. so distracting. So the fact that we can now have these small embeddable actions straight inside Quick Look where we can just Quick Look a photo, annotate it, and then carry on with what we were doing, it's, that is the kind mm-hmm. of thing that makes your day-to-day life run smoother and get more work done because you're not being distracted. It's just the computer is there to serve you, to do your bidding with as little as possible faff. It's, I love this. And those are the kind of improvements that macOS has needed in 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 different respects for a while now. Like, not just the under-the-hood stuff that nobody sees so that stuff crashes less or things are more responsive, but something like this where it can sand off yet another rough edge in whatever the workflow is that you're currently using. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. the, the last thing I want to talk about on macOS before we move on is the fact that Apple have previewed a technology they will be releasing to everyone else next year. Uh, which is a new universal framework to make it easier to port apps from iOS to the Mac. And they're dog-fooding it themselves this year. So they're eating their own dog food and they're bringing some apps, including most notably the Home app, to Mojave from iOS, but also the Stocks app. And the the voice memo is probably actually genuinely interesting. Um, I'm sure Stocks matters to some people, just not to me. Um, but the home app was the one everyone was hoping for, and so it's good to see that one come over. And I, I think this is the potential to be extremely powerful, assuming they do it well. But the fact that they're prepared to to experiment on their own actual apps before they 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 say it's ready for others gives me hope that they will do it well, that it will actually be a good API, and that the result is not going to be. You know, a touch app pretending to be a desktop app, but an actual desktop app. It's just that its its core mm-hmm. inside brain is shared between the touch interface and the desktop interface. So I think we've probably all come across iOS apps where we've been using them. We love using them, and we often think, "Wow, I'd love to be able to use this on my Mac." Yep, especially well, in the I've days had of the iPad. Opposite. Yes. I've had the opposite as well. Like I love this that I use on my computer all the time. It would be possible to take it with me. I really want to be able to do so. And I'm hoping that and I think this was like like referred to in in places as Project Marzipan 
And yeah, that was a what, rumored name before yeah. before the keynote. They didn't use that in the keynote. It probably is a code name right. that they use internally. That's probably what it was. And uh, one of the things that I was hoping for in hearing rumblings about this in the first place um, was like the primary thing I was hoping for, because I just sort of assumed Apple would be using it themselves for something and that we would see that at some point. Mm. And it was... I think what's interesting to me about this is that they ended up announcing it basically a year early because they came out and said, we will tell you a lot more about this next summer. Um, but here's the apps that use it now. And I think it's the App Store and uh, I'm totally blinking at uh, news, Apple News. Mm. And then um, uh, Stocks was the other one. I think there were like three. And, the and they were talking memo. about and voice memos. They were they were like these are ones that that exist like this now and I think they had to because as soon as people got their hands in the developer beta, they were going to crack things open and start looking around and discover this on their own. Yeah, that, so that, that they kind of had to jump. tell us about it. Yeah, that, that, what's I can't remember his first name. The, the Tronton, the, a really really clever developer, something Tronton Smith. Yeah, Steve Tronton Smith. Thank you. Uh, like he would have figured it out in no in you know two seconds flat as soon as he got the beta. So this you're right. This yeah. was going to come out. So let's so talk about. They it. had to tell us and. And what I was hoping for out of this was that it was going to be easier to go from one to the other, regardless of where you started. And that's still my hope, is that if I already have an iOS app, I can make it a little easier to run that on the Mac. Or if I have a Mac app, this will make it a little easier to give me an iOS version. Now, it's not going to change any of the stuff that makes me... Grumpy, I guess, will be the diplomatic <laughs> word about um, things like Windows 8 and Windows 10, where nothing takes into account that a laptop and a tablet or a phone have fundamentally different interaction mechanisms. Hmm. And, you know, not everything has a built in hardware keyboard. Not everything has a mouse attached or a trackpad attached. And not everybody who has a device with an attached mouse and keyboard necessarily wants to also have to touch the screen in order to get things accomplished. And so I'm hoping that that doesn't happen with this stuff. And so far it looks like the things that Apple's put together are different. The Mac apps look like a Mac app and the iOS apps, obviously, because these came from iOS look like iOS apps and are, are functional just how they are and take into account the the different environment where they're running and so i hope that when this stuff becomes more available to the rest of the world that the rest of the world takes those things into account as well i'm hopeful that you're correct and that it will work out the way we want it to work out and the reason i'm hopeful is because ios developers have already been used to thinking like this because tvos is ios so when you're writing a tvOS app, you're basically writing an iOS app, but with a different user interface on top. And watchOS is iOS. So when you're writing a watchOS app, you're using the same core under the hood APIs, which is a different presentation layer on top. And now the Mac will just join that parade. So you'll write one brain, you'll write a touch interface, a sit back interface, and a mouse and keyboard interface. And mm -hmm. so... You know, that model already exists for the touch interface and the sit-back interface and the watch interface. So adding adding the Mac into the mix shouldn't cause it to suddenly stop being a good model because clearly it's something that iOS developers already can get their heads around. So they, I'm very hopeful that it'll be done right. So can I tell you my one issue with 10.14? Go on. They come out with this, right? Um, they come out with, with these things that are interesting, these new features, dark mode, way. I don't 
if you go watch the video later. I don't know if if the live stream accurately portrays how excited that room was for dark <laughs> mode. It sounded like a pretty good round of applause. When they rotated it to dark mode and went dark mode, like as it was happening, you could like hear everyone in the room going <gasps> like there was so much excitement. And so I want to make sure people get that. But here's the thing about it is they add these new features and they're like, look at this and look at that. And we haven't forgotten the Mac. Look, we named the new version after a desert. <laughs> it is one of the most desolate places on earth. That's how you know we didn't forget Mac OS and that we're not neglecting it. Like, come on. Of all the places in California, you could have named it. You went with the desert. Anyway. That's the thing that I know it's a nitpick, but it's a thing that has chapped me about. Well, the thing is, as soon for as a I, month almost. As soon as I saw the picture, I went, "It's Mojave." Yeah. Long before he said it, I knew it was going to be the name. So they clearly picked the best known of all the deserts. Yeah. So, like, I'm looking at that, going, like, when the picture came up, I'm like, "Did you seriously name it Mojave?" <laughs> and then, yes, we did. We're not neglecting the Mac anymore. We just took the most desolate place on Earth and slapped its name on the new version. At least they didn't call it Death Valley. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just looked at the clock. I'm gonna I'm gonna move us along into iOS because I think we need to okay. give it some TLC. Um, so Apple led off with saying we're going to make this run more quickly on old devices. And Kelly, you started this conversation off by telling us that that is true for your old iPad. So. Yes. Really happy to hear that. If it's true in the betas, it's only going to become truer as as we get more into a real one. So I think we can move on beyond that. Um, I think the single big, well, it's hard to find the single biggest. One of the biggest things in here has to be screen time. I mean, it is one of the controversies of the year, this notion that we're, we as a, as a Western culture appear to be getting rather addicted to our screens and step one in trying to manage something is measuring. Right? I found this mm-hmm. out the hard way. I tried to lose weight without getting on a scale every week. Do you know how well that worked? Terribly. Not terribly, well. terribly, terribly. <laughs> right? You cannot change something you do not measure. So even if the only thing Apple had done had been to add the ability for us to see what we're doing, it would have already been a massive step forward. But they, they did that and they also gave us the ability to set limits on ourselves if we choose to do so. So the way I look at this is it's a tool to empower the people who want to take action. It's never go it's not going to make anyone who doesn't want to fix a problem fix a problem. It's never going to convince anyone who doesn't even believe they have a problem that they do. The only people this is going to help is people who actually are trying to change how they interact with technology. And just enabling people who want to take power to take power is is a really good thing in my book. Mm-hmm. I liked the opt in of it. Yeah, that it wasn't going to do anything until you explicitly again back to permission, um, yeah. <laughs> unless you told it to. And I liked how uh, not it was opt in, and you can set limits on things, and you can uh, use parental controls so that other members of your family, like if you know mm-hmm. uh, you have you have kids who have iPhones or whatever, like you can make those adjustments for them as well. And I really like the approach to this I thought was really sensible and not overreaching because it's up to you how much of this you want to use whether it's setting those limits yourself or not or what I thought it was great and I I think it could be very positive in a family to to just be able to have the conversation with your kids okay you know do you think you're using Facebook too much 
No. Okay. How much do you think you're using it? You think you use about five hours a week? Let's go have a look. Oh, look, 55. Hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, you can have a series... You can treat your kids as intelligent people if you, if you have this kind of information to work with. And that's a way more effective, in my humble opinion, as someone with zero kids. You know, it's <laughs> talk about being, as we would say in Ireland, the hurler on the ditch. Um, you know, the, 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 what is well, it? The, the, the sideline quarterback. But, you know, it, it's so much well, better to say... Well, you're taking an approach of treating kids like human beings and, I, yeah. and like a rational thinking person. And I feel like that's all... I, I too, again, zero kids. But I also feel like that's a really good approach. Well, that's what my parents did with me, and I think I turned out okay. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes just seeing the amount of time that you spend doing a thing yeah. makes you think about it carefully. I mean, I, um, I think I've said before uh, on this show that I own an electric car. Yes. And the electric, because it's connected to Nissan, they collect data, and they let me see that data. And... Uh-huh. Seeing how many hours I spend in the car a year, it's, it's depressing. It's quite perhaps, a, yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, when you, you realise you're spending a number of days a year, complete days a year. Oh God, just sitting mm-hmm. in traffic. It, it, yeah. It, Thank goodness for podcasts, Nick. In, indeed, yes. At least it's semi-productive well, time. And another thing about it is. Um, We've all had that moment where you look up from whatever it is that you were doing and it's been an hour or two or more. Oh, yes, yes just um, that little prod. You've, you, know, you said you're going to spend no more than three hours at this and you've been at it three hours. Thank you very yeah. much. I was actually completely engrossed. You know, right. Uh, you know, whether it's sit down to play a video game for a little bit and then it's, it's two hours later or, you know, I'm going to spend like I'm going to spend an hour over lunchtime doing this. And that's been three and like, just because sometimes like it's not, your brain is not interested in measuring time accurately at that moment because you're doing whatever the other thing is that you're doing. And I think that, I think that for a lot of people, it may not go any further than I'm going to turn it on and see what I'm doing. And then it's easier to make those adjustments. Like I'm not going to get on Facebook before bed or I'm not going to scroll through Twitter first thing in the morning or whatever it is. And maybe one of those tiny little habit changes will give you a lot of difference in other parts of the other parts of your day. And presumably it would help you see how distracted you are as well. I mean, you may be trying to do something productive, uh, but when you actually look at your stats, you, you were disturbed you know, for, uh, I don't know, let's say 10 minutes in every hour by Facebook or by mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That's true, actually. It could, it could be useful for just sort of seeing how um, focused you are on a particular yeah. a particular or, task. Or you may be trying to do something in the real world, and when you look at your stats, what it shows you is that you unlocked your iPhone 100 times today. So, mm, yes. Maybe I wasn't quite mm-hmm. so focused on the real world as I thought. <laughs> So it, I think it's very good. I, I'm really looking forward to, to to understanding my use of technology better. And then I may or may not decide that I want to change it. And if I decide I want to change it, I have the bonus of there's some tools to help me do that if I decide that's what I want to do. So I'm really looking forward to playing with this. Um, the other thing we absolutely have to talk about, no matter how short we get on time, is series shortcuts. Because I believe this is this is a game changer. So up until now... This is huge. Yeah, up until now, Siri has basically been... You must memorize these incantations as if you're a student in Hogwarts, <laughs> right? 
It's Leviosa. Not Leviosa, <laughs> right? I mean, really, that's how Siri worked. I mean, she, she may have been a bit more forgiving than some other assistants, but ultimately, you had to know the incantation. Well, now you get to write your own spells. You get to decide, I want to say walkies, and it will, I don't know, unlock the front door, turn on my favorite podcast, whatever, start a walk workout, whatever it is I want to do. I get to decide. I'm now in control. And the fact that it's being tied into AI where it's going to suggest, do you know, you do the same thing really quite often. Maybe you just want to give it a name. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bloody brilliant. I'm yeah, so excited about this. It's bringing the uh, the power, isn't it, of um, of what everyone's learned from other assistants, effectively. Yeah. But, but to the iPhone and... Yeah. <laughs> And the iPad, which is just cool. Yeah. And- well, part of what I liked about it was um, the, I guess it was relief, I felt, when they showed it on the screen for how you set it up. Because I went, oh, that's where workflow went. Yeah, thank goodness it went somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like other cool stuff that like I really enjoyed and then Apple bought and then it like quietly disappeared. Uh, <laughs> that's happened to me more than once and it bums me out. Um, so I was really glad to see that. What I what I don't know yet is what's going to happen to the workflow app itself. Apparently, I have I have been I have heard people whom I trust say they have been reliably informed that the work that the. the when iOS 12 comes out of beta, workflow will be renamed as shortcuts. Okay. And so as it long will as we continue. get to keep it, that's yes. a thing that I that I really enjoy. Uh, yeah, the, and... okay, so the really important thing that that, that, that <laughs> has been made clear is that those, the really powerful under the hood stuff, the, the various URL schemes and stuff that workflow uses to make it do its magic, all of that is staying. So it's not Yay! losing any of its power features so basically the ai is going to let people who don't care about power features do really cool stuff and those Mm -hmm. those of us who are nerdy and geeky and who like the way it works now we get to keep what we have too and that that makes me feel so much better because i was worried like oh they're just going to turn it into series shortcuts and now like the workflow app is just going to sort of wither and die so i'm glad to know it's coming that it's coming along still and I'm I'm really glad because I like the idea of write your own spells and cracking that open for everybody because you can use whatever you want to use with it mm-hmm. and set stuff up on your own to string those things along. And so far, um, I have not had success with chaining events together in the A-Lady. I have an Echo Base mm-hmm. and... I don't um I have not been able to get either her or uh commands given to her that get relayed to a smart things hub at my house. Um to play I haven't been able to get those things to like string together like they're supposed to. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to be able to set up stuff like this for the things that I want to do myself whether it's um turning lights on and off or um automatically suggesting that i order that thing from that place i go all the time or whatever i'm i think this is going to be really cool and and again security they tell you all this happens on device nobody at apple knows about your blue bottle coffee addiction or anything else like none of that stuff goes anywhere else it's all local which i also thought was really cool 
And another really important point here, right? So Workflow has provided the ability for third-party apps to to basically publish out functionality that you can then interact with via Workflow using URL schemes under the hood. And because Workflow is a third-party app, there has been some uptake of that, but it's by no means universal. But now that Siri Shortcuts is an OS-level API, it's actually right there in the system level, the temp- you know the the incentives for app developers to include to publish functionality to Siri is extremely high, which means that Siri shortcuts is going to be able to do much more than Workflow can do, and in many more apps because now it's just part of the core iOS APIs that if you're writing an app and your app can do X feature, if you publish it in this particular way, then anything that uses Siri can now do this particular thing. So if you're writing an image editing app you can say that this app will accept any image from anywhere in the system and it will do whatever to it. Well, you just publish that as a feature and then it becomes available anywhere Siri can be. And that is just so powerful. I mean, presumably at some point, there's a good chance this might come to the Mac as well. Because the Every Mac's got reason, Siri. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and the Mac currently has Automator. But Automator, yes. I mean, it's lovely, but it's a bit long in the tooth. If Automator were replaced by a Mac version of Workflow... I, I don't cool. think I'd be sad. I think, I'd and be that would happy. work with what we were talking about earlier, wouldn't it? About if if they can use these new porting tools, exactly to bring exactly. that sort of thing across. Yeah, and the, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the more core APIs end up being shared between the OSs, the more power we're all going to have. The only thing that shouldn't be in common between all of Apple's operating systems is the UI layer. Your app should have the same brain everywhere, just a different skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is great. Um, I personally, I'm also really happy with the changes Apple are making to the notifications and the do not disturb features so that notifications get grouped together and that you can say to your phone, don't disturb me for the next hour, which kind of ties back to the whole being distracted by your phone thing. When I'm going into a meeting, it actually would be really good to not, you know, because I will very often put my stuff into do not disturb mode manually and then promptly completely forget to ever take it back out of do not disturb mode. (laughs) You know, I wonder why your phone hasn't gone off for yeah. three hours. Or hours. why have I missed my next three meetings? Yeah. Oh, because my phone was diligently not annoying me because I asked it <laughs> yeah. not to. Exactly what I told it to do, right. Yeah. So just being able to say, don't annoy me for this meeting because it will have access to your calendar and stuff as well. So, I mean, this is just very clever stuff and I'm really happy to see it. And then the other thing that looks like it's, I guess it's just continuation of the same, but ARKit 2 seems quite powerful. The demo of Pikachu being able to hide behind real-world objects, so there's enough depth perception in there <laughs> that you can have a pretend thing hide itself between physical things. That's... Wow. And then just to prove that my, my husband has psychic powers, the day before the keynote, we were wandering around... Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place that basically I can't believe is not Ikea. It's called The Range. <laughs> and we were looking at a plant pot and thinking to ourselves, I wonder how big that is. I mean, my phone should be able to just tell me. I should be able to point the camera at it and it should just tell me. And the very next day on stage, ta-da, from now on, all of our iPhones are going to be able to just point them at things in the world and it'll just tell you how big it is. So that's brilliant. Oh, and then there's Memoji. Does anyone particularly... I'm sure it'll be great fun, but I, I, I find it hard to get excited. They finally uh, have curly have... hair, so I'm excited. 
but I don't have an iPhone 10, so I'm automatically slightly less excited. Fair enough. I'm I'm still waiting for AR kit to really come out with something that is that is really useful. The measure app might be it in well, many it's situations. <laughs> it's a start. Yeah. Yeah, I'd see myself uh, using that quite a bit because I'm forever standing like and stuff just looks so different when you're in a shop versus when you get at home. I forever end up coming home yes. with stuff that's yeah. stupidly big to put into my room. It's like well, that looked very small in this very, very big shop. It looks very big in my very small sitting room, or vice versa. Oh, yeah, that's more than big enough for whatever it is I want to do. And you come home and you go, ooh. It's like sofas. They always make them for huge rooms, and 90% of us in the UK haven't got huge rooms. Yeah, we don't live in such a thing, exactly. (laughs) Or in my case, we have a tree in the back garden that needed to be repotted. And I, it turns out, had I bought the pot I thought was the right size, I would have bought a pot exactly the same size as the one that was too small that I was trying to replace. Yes. Anyway, um, I'm going to move us on just to quickly touch off the other three OSs. Watch OS, um, they're ending support for the original watch, which I think means that they can move the APIs forward because that was basically a drag on the system. The auto detection yeah, of yeah. workout start and finish is darn useful because I have yeah, a terrible good. habit of forgetting to either start or stop a workout. And uh, the walkie-talkie feature is definitely the Dick Tracy watch I've always wanted, but you know something in the real world, I'll probably hate it. (laughs) Or just never use it. Or never use it, one of the two. Um, TVOS, I I cannot find something to get excited about in TVOS. Can any of you? It's totally coming! Yay! Okay. Uh, CarPlay got a good response from the audience for its one and only real feature, which is third-party navigation apps. Okay. That's good. Yes. Um and that's that's kind of it really. So um the second main story I had here, and I think we're gonna we're gonna race through this quite quickly, is just to flag that although we don't know how Apple are going to use the original video content they're very clearly working on, they're very clearly working on some stuff because just this month we have learned that Apple have signed the deal with Oprah Winfrey for original content and with the Sesame Workshop for video content. So Yay. they're up to something. Darn curious. Something to see Muppety. What it is. Something Muppety <laughs> and something Oprah EE. Uh, and then the third story that I sort of listed as a main story because I think it's just really important given how much we've talked about privacy and stuff. The US Supreme Court has ruled that cell phone location data is covered by the Fourth Amendment to the US Constitution. Now, for those of you who are not civics geeks, the Fourth Amendment protects Americans from unreasonable search and seizure. And what that means is that if something is protected by the Fourth Amendment, the way the authorities get their hands on it is by going to a judge, presenting evidence that they have probable cause, and then hoping the judge agrees with them. As opposed to just saying, I'll have that, please, thank you very much, which is where things stood before now. So it's a real problem that the framers of the Constitution couldn't possibly envisage iPhones with ever-present location tracking. Hmm. Uh, And so someone's had to interpret the Fourth Amendment for the 21st century, and thank goodness it came down the right way. Indeed. Yeah, actually, I call those main stories, but you know something, really, it was a WWDC show. Uh, before we wrap up, let's run through some of what I have classified officially as quick stories. Um, 
Apple Music web widget lets you embed your playlists into your website. Now, if a visitor to your website is also an Apple Music member, they can log in and they can listen to the full tracks from your website. So you can sort of share your playlists on your website if you so wish. Apple Maps has developed a JavaScript API uh, with actually very reasonable limits on it in terms of how many thousand uses per day you can use for free. Um, And Apple have also let it be known that they are completely rebuilding their Maps database from the ground up using only data they have gathered themselves, whereas at the moment their data is a mix of TomTom and OpenStreetView, which may explain why it's sometimes a bit silly. Hmm. And then just to to flag that Apple Pay continues its sort of zombie-like slow plod forward, uh, launching in Poland and Norway and coming to the Milan metro system. And finally, finally, uh, there's been a feature in GarageBand for years and years and years where you can basically get lessons from artists and you used to have to pay for them. Well, as of the latest updates to GarageBand, they are now free. So if you want to learn to play guitar, you can now have GarageBand teach you for free. Which is no bad thing. Yeah, it's cool. Folks, thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time. Um, In reverse order, uh, Kelly, thank you for coming. Do you want to let the good listeners know where they can hear more of your stuff? Basically, plug stuff. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter as Verso. You should find me on micro.blog as Verso. Uh, You can hear me generally on Wednesdays on the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast. And you can hear me on Greetings from the Uncanny Valley, which is my podcast about Westworld that I do with Don Melton over on the Incomparable Network. And you can hear me on the occasional show over on the Incomparable Network here and there as well. Can I just say such a cool show name? (laughs) Thank you. 20 million nerd points to you. So oh impressed. yay <laughs> Nick do you want to let the good listeners know where they can find more of your stuff uh, yeah well you can contact me through um, Twitter uh, it's at Spligosh S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H and you can occasionally hear me talking with Simon over on Essential Apple excellent are one of our sister podcasts uh, here on the My Mac Podcasting Network um, indeed and every now and then those chaps show up here and I show up over there it's good fun Okay, I have been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie, but you will also find detailed show notes uh, with all of the stories that unfold my thinking on this month's very, very copious amounts of Apple news over at lets-talk.ie. You'll also find over there a collection of large blue buttons under the heading support the show. Please consider supporting the show. It is very much appreciated when people do. Um, There is a PayPal button for a one-off donation, a very effective way to give, you know, five, ten, whatever dollars uh, efficiently. Uh, But if you prefer to give a smaller amount, the efficient way to do that so that PayPal don't get all the money and, you know, that's just a waste, is to become a supporter of the show on Patreon. Um, You basically pledge a small dollar amount for every show that gets published. So it will be exactly two every month, one photography, one Apple. So if you'd like to give me $2 a month, pledge $1, it will become two. You get the idea. Um, Those of you who support the show on Patreon, thank you ever so much. You guys are literally the reason the show continues to exist because the Patreon money gets poured into the hosting bill. And that's how this thing continues to function. 
Um, and everyone who donates via PayPal, thank you very much too, because whenever I need new hardware and stuff, that comes out of the PayPal money. So you guys all rock and you guys help make the show possible. You can also support the show simply by reviewing it, telling your friends, or just generally, you know, sharing. It's all very much appreciated. Okay, with all that said, I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, spartb.ie. Until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This is Mark Chappell of the Essential Mac and the Rampant Mumblings podcast. And this is Carl Madden of the Mac and Forth Show podcast. You know what, Carl? No, nope, never met him. But it's funny how many people ask. No, no, no. I mean, you know what we should do? Get better writers? Well, that goes without saying. No, I think we should merge. Excuse me? Rampant Mumblings, Essential Mac, Mac and Forth should merge. Sounds messy. No, no, no. It'll be good. We can still have all the incisive news, views and opinions of Rampant Mumblings and Essential Mac along with, well, whatever Mac and Forth has to offer. Hmm. And what should we call this new monster? Uh, I mean venture. Well, it's still essentially an Apple-related show, so why not... How do you like those apples? Catchy, but does it essentially sum up what an apple show should be about? All right, how about get your apples here, an apple a day, chatty apple, happy pie, oh, oh, just apple. No, we essentially need something that is more apple related. Monkey tennis. Huh? No, no, no. We just need something essentially apple that lets people know we will essentially be discussing apple related things. You knuckleheads. Just call your new podcast the Essential Apple Podcast for when people have essentially run out of good podcasts to listen to. Should have gone with monkey tennis.